0: go to James then if you could. Uh, James chapter 2, uh, if you were here the last couple weeks, Matt took us all the way through chapter 1, and we're going to go chapter 2 verses 1 to 13 today. Um, before we jump in though to the text, something that's really helpful I think when we read James is to uh, remind ourselves of who the, the audience was, is. Um, because if we don't, we can, we can tend toward two um, very easy-to-default-to um, perspectives on this letter that um, lead us into a couple pitfalls that, that we need to, we need to um, avoid as we read this text. Um, when you read James, very easily you can fall into this trap of, um, you, you know, you go from one chapter to the next, and it's very clear that James is about you doing what your faith demands from you, right? There's a lot of, and, and it's great because it's very easy to understand. There are several texts in Scripture where you have to read it and reread it and reread it and maybe get some study helps to understand what's really going on. In James, that's not the case. I mean, it's very straightforward. He's very practical. He's been referred to as like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, we, the last couple of weeks. Hey, when you come across trials in your, in your life... Look at them as unalloyed joy. That's very simple to to understand, very simple to respond to, right? Um, Bear up under temptation. Don't give in to the temptation to sin. Uh, You want to know what real religion looks like? Care for the fatherless and widows, and uh, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Not hard to understand, right? We'll deal with our text here in a little bit. Um, The text to follow is, hey, the faith you say you have, it better look like good works. (laughs) And you get that throughout the text. Chapter 3 is about the tongue. Um, chapter 4, you talk about, he talks about how you make your plans. Chapter 5, he talks to rich people and he says, you better be using your riches for the glory of God. If you don't, you're going to be judged for them. A bunch of doing that is to accompany faith, and that's all very helpful, obviously. It's, and it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it can kind of, when we receive the word, very easily we can default to this idea, um, kind of treating James like a football coach, um, where we, it's like, hey, do that. Coaches are about getting things done, right? Drop and give me 50. <laughs> um, make that tackle next time, or you're running wind sprints after, after uh, practice. My, I grew up with a dad who was a football coach. So I look at James, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's like my dad. We tend to look at James that way. Why? Because it's an easier way to receive God's Word when we can look at it and say, okay, give me a list that I need to do, and then I can feel like if I get those things done, then I'm good, right? (laughs) I'm okay. I checked that box, and I checked that box, and I checked that box. God must be happy with me now, or at least happier. We can tend toward that self justification self justification approach because that's where our hearts naturally go as human beings every single one of us constantly struggles with this problem of self justification so that's one thing we need to be we need to be careful of second we can also look at this text as kind of like the the musings of like a scatterbrained eccentric uncle you know have you you know you, you know those people in your life where they can never finish a complete thought before they move on to the next, uh, the next idea. Um, I, I, I was with a client recently and like, he could never finish a total thought. and like, He wouldn't just like, stop and move on to something else um, mid-conversation. He'd stop and walk away. Like, wait, we didn't, we, we didn't finish that entire conversation. You know people like this. With James, we can tend to read him the same way. We're like, man... How did he get from trials, to temptations, to sin, to helping fatherless and widows, to now today, we're going to talk about playing favorites, to um, faith and works, to the tongue? I mean, it's all over the place. And if we don't recognize this fundamental glue that holds this book together, that also addresses our attempts to self-justification, if we don't recognize that, we can tend to read him incorrectly too, where it's like, Man, this is all over the place and none of this is connected. The fundamental glue that congeals the whole book of James, that keeps it completely together as as a holistic unit, and the glue that keeps us from reading this as a list of a bunch of doings that we need to participate in in order for God to be happy with us, is the fact that James is writing to brothers and sisters. He's not just writing, as as, uh, Matt talked about a couple weeks ago, he's not just writing to Jewish people. He's not just writing to fellow countrymen and women. He's not just writing to people who share a a common culture and ethnicity with him. He's writing to gospel people. And he starts chapter 2 the same way that he started at the very beginning of chapter 1, that he reiterated again in chapter 1, He starts chapter 2 with the same understanding, my brothers show no partiality. So he starts with my brothers, and that again is the the general term for brothers and sisters. You may be reading an English translation that that says that. He's talking to all brothers and sisters in Christ. The fundamental reality that they all share together is the fact that they are gospel people. And that might sound really basic and fundamental, and I kind of hope it does, but at the same time, we cannot overstate that reality. If we don't, we will read James the wrong way. We'll read it as a bunch of disconnected commands that we've got to do in order to make God happy with us or keep him happy with us or just make him a little happier with us. No, he's talking to people who God is already eternally happy with for Jesus' sake. And if we don't catch that and that doesn't infuse our reading of James we're going to default to the self-justification um, reading of the text. So, I just wanted to start with that because um, now we're going to get into verses 1 through 7. Nice thing about James, it's not hard to understand. What's he talking about here? Favoritism. Favoritism. Perfect, yeah. Favoritism. Not, not a trick question. James doesn't work that way. It's like, yeah, I'm talking about playing favorites. <laughs> um, how many of you played favorites this week to some degree or another? You can raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. We all did this at some point this week. That's the other beauty about James. He's, he's meeting us exactly where we're at. He's not talking about some ethereal concept that might happen in your life. No, y'all did it this week. I did it this week. We tend toward the people we like that are kind of like us, that appreciate us. We tend to keep at arm's length the people who aren't. It's a human, it's a fundamental human problem because of what Danny talked about today, the fundamental problem of sin. And James is going to deal with that. He's already dealt with trials. He's dealt with temptations to sin. Now, going to the next logical step, he's saying, you, just like you tend to want to keep um, trials at bay, you also want to keep other people at bay. Here, in verses 1 through 7, he, he, he shows us again, because he's talking to gospel people, he shows us that the gospel exposes our sinful intuition. Why I put it that way is because, just like we all kind of raised our hands, um, we all tend toward this default approach of playing favorites because we all tend toward this default approach of self-justification. At the end of the day, fundamentally, why do we try to keep other people at arm's length or look down at other people? Why do we do that? Any thoughts? Yes, they're messy, yep. To protect yourself, yourself. yep. Others? These all kind of have the same theme. Uh, I I thought as I was reading this text, I thought we, as Danny said, we we moved from New York City. And New York City, as is commonly known, whether or not you've visited there or not, uh, homelessness is a real problem. And uh, during like the, the winter months, um, a common uh, place for folks who are homeless to go try to get warm, keep warm is the subway system. It's also the place where rats go to get warm and keep warm. Um, but uh, you would, you would run, run across a lot of folks who were homeless during the winter months when you get on a train. And I just remember uh, with, a, with a lot of shame Um, I remember a a day I went to go get on the train to go to work, and I I get on, and all of a sudden, usually when it's rush hour in the morning on on your way to work, everybody is like cramming in. You get as many people as you possibly can on the subway car, because everybody's got to get to work on time. And in this particular case, as I'm getting on, all the people in front of me were getting on and going immediately to their left, like as fast as they possibly could. As I got on, I came to realize why. There was a uh, a gentleman who obviously was homeless, had been sleeping there, um, just filthy clothing, and he had no socks or shoes on. And on one of, in one of his feet was just, um, it, it was infected with some type of a sore. It was, it was, it was really obvious and really um, awful to, to look at. And instead of trying to think of how can we help this man, every one of us, including me, we like, ah, oh, I can't get near that. I might, I might catch something. I might, I might get sick. I might, I, might be, I might catch some type of disease. And we all kind of s- stepped over to the side of the train so that we wouldn't be exposed to whatever that man had. To this day, I'm ashamed of myself for that. That's a very real example. But why, and you all said it, why do we do that? Because when we can associate with certain people, and in this case, James gives an example of a wealthy person, an obviously wealthy person coming into a church assembly, um, and then a poor person who is obviously poor, who obviously doesn't have a lot of money to give, or um, a lot of, um, you know, they're not, they're not going to be appreciated for any particular thing. He gives this example and he shows um, you all start to default to the rich person because you would like to align yourself with them. You want to feel in alignment with them because you deem them worthy, and you deem the poor person unworthy. And it makes us feel better about ourselves when we can look at other people and say, well, I'm I'm fundamentally better than you are. (laughs) That comes from a heart that defaults to self-justification. And James wants to expose that here. In fact, he gives us a couple different arguments for it. In verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, again, gospel people, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So first of all, he says, um, and this is like a 1 Corinthians chapter 1 approach as well that Paul takes. He says, um, the rich aren't the ones who are often chosen. Why? Because the rich are often the ones who don't feel like they need a physician. They don't need salvation. They are already fine, at least according to them. The poor in the world are the ones who know they have a problem, who know they're destitute, who know often that they're sinful. Those are the ones who are called. Those are the ones who are chosen. Why? Because they recognize they need a doctor for their souls. He then says in verses 6 to 7, he says, and on top of this, the rich are the ones who are oppressing you. (laughs) The, The rich people in this context had been dragging some of these believers into court. Taking advantage of them. And what James is saying is you tend to want to align with those very people. Why? Because in some way or other, it exposes your sinful intuition that you want to feel justified along with them. Our society, in our society, we do this a lot, right? We all talked about it like on an individual level. We've done this since Adam sinned. You look at racism, you look at any type of form of prejudice. You look at a lot, we're coming up on another election season, oh please no. Um, This is exposed to the nth degree. If you don't align with me on my politics, you're an awful person and I would prefer you not be in this country anymore. Our hearts do that. In fact, we do that to the point where we... We, there's so much vitriol thrown at each other over politics that as believers, there's, a, there's not very much left um, to love those persons for Jesus' sake, right? We tend to do this because it makes us feel justified. And James is saying that cannot be the case with gospel people. Why? Because your justification isn't found in other people that you can associate with. Your justification isn't found in any type of standard at all. Because the reality is you're going to fall short of the ultimate standard, the one that God sets, and that's why you need Jesus. That's why it is totally incompatible for gospel people to, in fact, look at others and say, I'm more worthy in and of myself than you are. That leads us into the next section. What James moves to here is that, again, why uh, the default towards self-justification that's exposed when we play favorites. Um, why is that so incompatible with um, our reality in Jesus? And that is that the gospel levels the playing field. The reason I say that is James immediately goes to okay. This the royal law that he's referring to. He actually defines it. He says, "You will you shall love your neighbor as yourself." And this this is coming from Jesus. Jesus said. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when it comes to dealing with people, James is saying the royal law is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, if you do that, great. That's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, Problem is, everybody's reading it or hearing it for the first time going, shoot, I don't do that. He says, but if you play favorites, like these people tended to do, he says, you've already blown the law because you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. So all of you, where back in verse 4, he said, you, are, you were playing the role of judge, because he said you're judges with evil thoughts. You're trying to play the role of judge, but by the very fact that you are playing favorites, you've shown yourselves, you've shown to the whole world, you're not in a position to be a judge. You can't be a judge. Why? Because you're a lawbreaker, You may feel like you're justified in putting other people down. You may feel like you're more worthy because you align with the rich people over here and you can say about those people, they're messed up, they're not worthy, they're lawbreakers, they're eh. But the reality is that the fact that you played favorites in the first place just showed you're a lawbreaker and frankly, you're just as bad as any of the people you try to put in that bucket over there. And while that may sound like Bad news, where we go, oh, yeah, I am that person. I am the person who I think I'm pretty good, but yeah, if I'm honest with myself, I've played favorites. Maybe I haven't murdered, maybe I haven't committed adultery, but I have treated people poorly because they're not like me. Where that sounds bad, and it is, I mean, it's the reality. It's who we, it's who we are, unfortunately. The beauty of it is this, that that's where the gospel brings Every single one of us. The beauty about the gospel is that it totally levels the playing field. It takes all of us and says, guess what? None of you are worthy. (laughs) You're all bad. You're all, in fact, terrible. You're the one who should be brought into the assembly and say, go sit there by that footstool over there. Every single one of us Jesus is the one who should have been able to walk into the assembly and be treated as absolute royalty because he is. And instead of that, he's the one who sat down at the footstool. He's the one who walked in and said, I'm going to go serve everybody else. Most stark example, he well, outside of the cross, he's the one who walks in, picks up the towel, and goes and washes everybody's feet. And in so doing, reminds us, none of you are worthy in and of yourselves. None of you, the rich, the poor, anywhere in between, the gospel all brings us down to this same place where none of you can justify yourselves. When we can, by the Spirit's power, grasp that reality, that's a game changer for everything. Because now I don't have to treat anybody poorly or anybody better, and I don't have to be treated better or or more poorly. It doesn't matter. Why? Because for anyone who's in Christ, in Christ, we've been given a new status that cannot be improved upon and cannot be taken away. Uh, Matt uh, read it in, in chapter one, verses nine through eleven says let the lowly brother rejoice in his exaltation and let the the brother of high degree or the one who basically the, the rich one rejoice in the fact that he's been brought low what does that have to do with rejoice in the fact that the gospel pff, levels the playing field we're all in jesus we're all of the the highest status we could ever achieve in the in the universe and now i don't frankly if i'm in the place where you're playing favorites against me it doesn't have to matter i can let that go because you can't take away what I have in Jesus. And on the flip side, I can treat everybody with the same love, care, and concern that they should be treated with because, as Danny showed us today, they're made in God's image. Fundamentally, they have value and worth. I can treat everybody that way, and I can do so with joy because Jesus has already been the despised one on my behalf. That's a game changer. That, that changes everything for us. Now you can go out into the world with great joy and treat everybody with love and and care like Jesus uh, loved and cared for us. And that takes us to the last part of the text. And this is where we'll finish. We talked about James saying, go do. Don't just hear do. Don't just hear do. If if you say you have faith, it better have works. We'll come back to that next week. But this, in verse 12, is where he really gets to the do part. He says, so speak and so act. This is the... This is the part where it's easy to go, okay, 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 okay. I'll do it. (laughs) If this will make God happy with me, okay, okay. No, he's already shown us the gospel has leveled the playing field. So now, because of that reality, because you're gospel people, you've been shown that type of mercy even though you are the one who should be down at the footstool. You've been elevated in Jesus. Now, based on that premise and on nothing else, so speak and so act. In fact, now go out into the world and Don't play favorites anymore. Stop treating others. Uh, tra- stop treating some as though they are worthy of your love, and others that, that stop treating them like they aren't. Because you, number one, he gives two two parts to this argument. One, um, you will be judged according to that law of liberty, not judged in being sent to hell. These are gospel people, but all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Right? We'll all be. We'll all be have our Have our lives put on display and say okay um, what's what's gold silver precious precious stones and what are wood hay and stubble We know that and, and so James is saying, with gravity take this take this command to heart that you are to love your neighbor as yourself regardless of what that neighbor looks like but on the flip side again here 's the gospel joy that 's infused into this. you are the people who have fundamentally come to realize through the power of the Holy Spirit what it means to have mercy triumph over judgment. You're those people. Judgment was hurling toward you because of everything wrong you've done. But instead, Jesus comes and takes takes all of the brunt of that on our behalf. So mercy has triumphed over judgment. Now go so speak and so act like I just told you to do in stop playing favorites because you're gospel people now. You can respond to any type of favoritism displayed towards you with joy and you can stop the, the favorite playing that you've been a part of because of that same gospel joy because you've received mercy instead of judgment. And that should be something that we... Ruminate over, meditate on throughout the course of this week. Think about it at work tomorrow. There's the coworker that drives you nuts. And there's the coworkers that you like. One of the things our, 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 when our kids go to school in the morning, we try to remind them: find the kid who has no friends. Because we didn't deserve any friends, and Jesus came and befriended us. That's the type of thing that you and I can move out into the world, and that's one of the most incredible apologetics for the gospel, to be the type of people who don't play favorites, because everybody else does. And we can do that because fundamentally, as a matter of our identity, we're gospel people. We now have the ability, through the power of the Spirit, to go out and actually not play favorites. And that leads me to this final thing. This quote may look really ridiculous to you but I've I've been exposed to a ministry down in Tennessee, and just a a gospel-saturated community for everything I've been able to see, and they have a mantra that that they just put out in front of everybody, and I just love it. Their mantra is this, I'm a complete idiot. My future is incredibly bright, and anyone can get in on this. That should be the mantra of every gospel person. I am a complete idiot and so are you. (laughs) But my future is incredibly bright. Why is it bright? Because I'm in Jesus. I have a status that nobody can take away, and nobody can add to, nobody can detract from, and anyone can get in on this. Let's pray, and then we'll be done. And then we'll get back to chapter 2 and the second half of the text next week. Father, thank you for um, the time together. Thank you that um, Jesus has leveled the playing field because he took all of the consequences for our sins upon himself. He was the outcast so we could be brought home. He was the one treated like the servant so that we could be elevated to joint airship with him. So help us to rejoice in that and then help, it, help that to transform how we treat people not just the people that we like or that we naturally gravitate toward or the ones we have affinities with, but the people who bother us, the people who maybe are our enemies, maybe hate us, but instead we treat them with kindness and love because we've been treated with kindness and love even though we were your enemies. We pray these things through Christ. Amen.